Welcome to Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we're going to be talking about dissecting our best investments. Part one, this is a series and there'll be part two, three, etc. So be on the lookout as we release more. But before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Asset Blocks and I need to let you know that this is a disclaimer. Grant, myself, and the Asset Blocks team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personalized financial or investment advice. We're merely sharing our own experiences and opinions, but you should absolutely seek the help of professionals before acting on anything you hear in this podcast or on our brand. Charlie, this episode is super important to me because if you see that other people have done something, you realize that it is highly possible for you to do it and highly probable. Do you have any stories about like mentors or networks that really sort of prompted you forwards? Yeah, absolutely. I was involved in a mastermind group many years ago when I was starting a digital marketing agency. Like, And I look at that and go, when I was at the event, I was very fixed in what I thought was possible in my agency. And I was very fortunate to hang around some people that were doing things very differently. And when I got to look under the hood and see what they were doing and kind of swipe and deploy their best ideas into my business. Of course, taking on my own risk, I accept that when I use someone else's ideas, it's my responsibility. Heads up for today, right? I'm sharing things, but it's your responsibility what you do with it. Don't come back to me on it. Um, But it changed the way I ran my agency and ultimately allowed me to go a lot faster. Like it changed the trajectory because all these new opportunities started to become things I could do within my own business. And I think investing in property is the same. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can use that power of the network within your wealth, but also your business. Because to your point, you can learn from others, you can ask them questions, but most importantly, you can kind of see what's possible, right? Like if someone's gone and made a million bucks, you go, oh, wow, that's, that's completely possible. And I think the, the key underlining message to everyone listening to this is we want you in our network. We want you as part of this peer group and we really want you to see behind the curtains of what Charlie and I have achieved so that you can go, oh, wow, (laughs) if these two idiots can achieve it, I can (laughs) achieve it. So, if you're an Australian business owner who's uh, sort of looking on the edge of going, I'm going to start wealth or has started and just still going, well, what is possible? Then this episode is going to be perfect for you. And if you do want to be part of the discussion, ask Charlie and I any questions or even ask questions about other investments that we've done, et cetera, head over to Facebook and join the Asset Blocks Facebook group. I think it's called Asset Blocks Community and have a conversation with us. We're over there and we ask a lot of questions ourselves as well. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or even share it with someone else who it could help out. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. So today's episode, Charlie, you are going to be in the spotlight. You are going to be the one talking about your investment. I'm going to jump in on part two. So I'm not going to waste any time on this. I'm going to go straight for the meat and potatoes or for the throat or whatever people talk about. So before we dive directly into the deep, dark details of what asset did you go, what was the price and all those kind of things, first up, what type of asset did you go with? Because there's a myriad of different assets. And then why did you deem it one of your, I don't know, investments that you'll be covering today? Yeah, great great question, right? I must admit I'm a little bit nervous on this one because it's really putting yourself out there. Like one of the things I want to achieve with this podcast is transparency. There's a lot of people pushing things online or in the wealth space and they allude to their success, but they never really talk about, well, what, you know, what do you have under the hood? How does it work? What is, results has it gotten? Yep. And uh, one of the things I've known from business for a long time is I've gone to work with businesses I've thought were tremendously successful. And when I've seen behind the scenes or under the hood, I'm like, they're going to be lucky if they make payroll. <laughs> yeah. Driving a Porsche, not sure if they're going to be able to make the payment on the car or can afford to put fuel in it. And this is a really common story and unfortunately common in the wealth space. Like there are a lot of charlatans out there, although I will say business as well. So in this episode itself, I just want to make it really clear. I'm making uh, this is what has it. I have done. It's a personal thing. Um, I'm by no means saying that you should copy me without getting help or advice. Or what I do hope though is it spawns you to question what's possible for you, and then you seek professionals, you seek other people that can help you on this journey. Because I know when someone showed me and I saw what was possible, it, it changed everything for me. It really, really did. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's really key for everybody, right? Because we've all sort of sat on the outside and looked in 
We've all been on the outside of that house looking through the window saying the party on the inside's better and I just wish that someone would come and open the door for me. And so I appreciate yourself and, and Bianca for saying, hey, I'm, we're willing to share some of these details because some of the questions I'm going to be asking you, <laughs> you are going to be lifting your skirt today. <laughs> I'm in for it. I want to change it, right? Too many business owners are going broke. Too many people retire with nothing. This is something I want to change. I think more of us can achieve more with what we're doing in business. All right, so the question you asked is like, well, I'm going to start with the why. So this is was my second uh, investment property I'm going to be talking about today. Um, why it was so important to me is that it very much aligned with my wealth goals. So I looked at what we discussed in uh, a previous episode about what we were trying to achieve. At this point in the journey, I had a bit more clarity on that. And my goal with this second investment was a bit of what I'm going to call a hybrid. I wanted my cash flow to improve as like the primary thing. So if I, after purchasing this property, I wanted the money to come into my bank account to be increasing every month not decreasing. And then the second side of that is because this was an earlier purchase in my portfolio is I wanted some growth with that so that I could keep buying properties as well. So I just want to dispel a myth really quickly here is like there's a camp theory, you do cash flow or you do growth. There are certainly opportunities to do hybrids where I've got good cash flow, not the best you can get, but good, but then I've also got good growth, not the best in growth, but uh, very good in growth. And I've kind of taken the best of both worlds here in this investment. Yeah, and it's, it's like hedging your bets, especially because um, asset blocks is targeted to Australian business owners, right? Because you have businesses, you don't always want to be looking over your shoulder saying, am I getting the greatest growth? Is it peaks and troughs within the market? Uh, do I have to sink more money into it because it's negatively geared? But on the other side, if it was just cash flow heavy, you, you become too responsive to the markets, right? It, it, your property might go up, it might go down, but you don't have the leverage within the equity that increases. So if anyone's a business owner out there, like that was one of the biggest things that I look at in these types of investments is saying, okay, like how do I help me as a business owner not jeopardize my business <laughs> so I could focus in? So the hybrid approach that you've taken on this uh, makes complete sense around cash flow number one and then capital growth number two. So like, why were you looking for this type of investment? Were you looking for like freedom? Were you looking for options? Is it because you, your business wasn't going the way that you wanted it to go? Like, what? Why did you start looking at investments at the root like level? Yeah, well, kind of the opposite. Business is doing well, and what it hit me was like, well, what am I doing with it? I'm I've developed a surplus of cash month on month in my business. My business is going strong. And now I'm looking for ways to take that cash and put it into vehicles that give me more options. So again, it's like I know in uh, PAYG community, a lot of people will focus on retirement. Not so much for me. Like I just want to develop good cash flow assets that yep. again do have some growth, but then I can have some flexibility within my business as well. So if I want to use the funds from this property, you know, the cash flow for it to fund this podcast, I can. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> so, jumping a little bit into the details. So, property, like, talk it to us about sort of the initial sort of parts, like some information like when did you buy it, what's the size, location, um, you kind of touched on sort of how long you've had it for. Um, any details around like the initial step and then we'll get into sort of the cash flow and how is it going now and stuff like that just in a moment. So, just imagine – you were going back a couple of years and you were looking at this thing and you were doing your spreadsheet and going, what's this going to cost me right now? Walk us yeah. through that. Let's go through it. So this property I've had for almost two years now. Um, we're recording this in the, about the start of Feb 2022, just for a timestamp on this. So I've had it almost two years now. Um, the property is in what I'll call the Newcastle region of New South Wales. So for anyone that isn't familiar with the map, it's uh, if you know where Sydney is, it's probably about... Uh, an hour and a half, two hours north of Sydney, roughly. I, I must admit I'm not great at Sydney geography, so let's just say roughly. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so that's where it is. And then this property is a bit of a unique type um, when we look at it. It's actually what is known as a triplex, which means there's three tenants with, come with it. But I'll, I want to unpack that a little bit more for understanding. This is a house that has two levels. So there's a level on top and a, a level below, and then there's a tenant that lives on the lower level, a tenant that lives on the upper level. Um, it's just a really big house that's got two kitchens, two laundries, two of everything. Uh, in future, that could be just made into one big house. 
but for the time being it's set up in a way where two tenants can live in it. And then it also has had something called a granny flat um, or a unit in the back of the property because it's on a quite a large parcel of land so that the third tenant is in the granny flat component of it or the unit component of it. So it has three tenants that are on the one property. Um, it also has three income streams. So what I really liked about this one was that if anyone was to leave, I've still got two other tenants. So I'm not running the same vacancy risks on the property. So I really like that. I like, again, a bit of diversification in the properties. I like that it's a standalone property with land. And then I love that it could be reutilized into something else. So, you know, a big family could rent it. Maybe they really have a, a nana that wants to live out the back and they've got four kids they want to live in the house. Or we can rent it out uh, to three separate tenants. Like it's got some versatility in it, which I really loved about this. And Again, it was not something I knew you could even buy in Australia before um, talking to people in this world. So that's the um, layout of what the property is and hopefully I've explained that well enough. Yeah, so essentially it's got good passive land. I would assume probably greater than 600 square metres or something like that. It's roughly 600 square metres. Yep. Flat block. And it's good. Essentially, you've got three dwellings or house components on it that you can bring in revenue from. Like, Correct. And you kind of touched on it. I am curious. Did you just go realestate.com.au and just go, I want a triplex, Mr. Realestate.com.au. Please show me when, like, where to buy. Did you know this? Like, have you lived there before? Have you seen this place and just gone, this is going to be great? Like, because it's a very specific thing. Like, it's like a parcel land, three income streams on this parcel land in the Newcastle region. Like, it's, was, question, like, how did you figure this place? All right, well, so I've never been to Newcastle at all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel horrible saying that, um, but uh, I think one of the biases we have as uh, people is like we're very biased to our own area. Yep. So, like, I feel very confident buying houses around where I live, but they're probably not the best investments, and uh, that had been made very, very aware to me. Um, I look at it and go, I have a very, very spe- specific set of skills in media and online. Like if someone wants to build a podcast or if we want to do uh, some sort of digital marketing, like I'm the guy, I'm very, very confident. I've got a lot of skill and training. As for picking property locations, none, I would be guessing. The good news is I'm aware that I would be guessing, so I'm not going to guess. So there are professionals you can use uh, called buyers agents that will help you pick locations. So I use uh, someone who will probably come up many on times on this show itself is I used uh, Goose or Gabby and their company uh, Dashdot, um, which helped with the buyers advocacy components, just um, was really good. There's obviously other people on the team as well. Do we want to go into that now or should we save that for a later part? Yeah, we'll save that for a later part and because okay. I'll dive into some more financing and, and how much you paid for it, etc. cetera. Uh, so it was, it was interesting, right? So when you aligned to your wealth goal, you said, yep, I need to grab another property. And this was about two years ago. What, what was the first thing you did? You just hit up Goose and Gabby or was there like a, a bigger process? Did you try and find out if you could fund it? Did you set a budget first? Because we haven't even talked about how expensive this place was. Like, what was the sequence of events that you went through in order to say this property makes sense to me? Like, Was it buyer's agent first? Was it? Can I get the money? Was it what's cash in the bank? Like, what was that sequence? Yeah, so my first property, I think you could just describe as carnage. <laughs> um, I would, didn't know the well, like all things, right? It's like it was a whole new experience. I'm like, when do I talk to this person? Do we need this? Um, it was a lot of finding my feet. What's a conveyancer like? Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I know some business owners are listening to this now going, yeah, what is a conveyance? No, is- I didn't know either. <laughs> You'll go through it. You'll go um, through it. Anyway, the point being, this was my second uh, investment, which I mentioned earlier. So I, I felt more comfortable in the process. We kind of knew the process of buying another property at this point. Yep. So the way it kind of works is step one is I had a conversation with my broker after my first investment was done. And I said, look, we've done this. What's possible for me next? So broker was Aaron and uh, who uh, we've already recorded an episode with, I think will be very helpful business owners. I spoke to Aaron and I said, look, what is my borrowing capacity? So if I wanted to buy another uh, investment, like what are my options? And Aaron uh, very graciously like made up a really good uh, spreadsheet for me in a video. And he said, look, this is what you can do. And this is um, how much you could borrow, how much you would need to contribute Um, if you did it. And I took that information and I went over to Goose and I said, look, this is the lay of the land. Um, My 
my home, this is what I got. This is how investment number one is shaped up. What can we do next? And then Goose uh, being like his, uh, and Gabby, I will say, it was definitely both of them. I will uh, often just go to Goose because we're good friends and talk often, but there's a whole team at Dashdot that do an excellent job. What tends to happen from there, though, is that they will get a bit strategic in options. Yep. And again, it's my responsibility. Like I'm the one saying yes or no. I'm not putting this on other people, but being that Goose and Gabby were buying properties every day of the week, doing all their time is spent on research. I'm going to back them before I back me. <laughs> <laughs> like most people should. Yeah. So Goose developed a plan based on the uh, borrowing power I had at this point and said, look, these are the options. And then we set a range. So we said, Charlie, look, uh, in this case here, you could borrow up. And I think I could borrow about a million dollars at this time. Yep. Because So anything up to a million dollars we can do, I'm going to go out and search and I'm going to effectively try and find good value. So he said to me, and this is a really important point, he's like, I might come back to you and we might buy two at 400 or we might buy one big one at a million, but we want to find where we think a good opportunity is. We're not just going to spend your maximum. Like you want to make sure you're getting something um, that will over the long term serve the goals you have here. And I told Goose the goals I had that were referenced earlier here. Like I wanted him involved in going like, I'm trying to get to this wealth goal in what order do the pieces need to go and noting that there was going to be more investments we do later. So this one was growth and cash flow, where down the road there are future ones, which I'm sure we'll dissect where it's like I've gone more cash flow heavy or I've got more growth heavy, depending on what my portfolio needed at this point. And that's the perfect segue into my next question, which is how much does it cost you? So you've got budget of a million dollars, um, Obviously, you've got you got multiple options, right? You can go and buy what four houses at a quarter of a million dollars each. You can go and buy a massive house at a million dollars, or you can do like two for five hundred. And you just said, Goose, you figured this out. You helped me. These are my goals. You helped me on this journey. So he's come back, and you've seen the was triplex, Newcastle region, six hundred square meters. Um, like, how much was that house? And walk us through sort of that upfront process if you will like what was the deposit you had to put down uh, so the total price of the house deposit that you had to put down and then we'll we'll dissect a little bit more about well, what were the hidden costs around conveyancing stamp and all that kind of stuff yeah so i just will mention one of the good things about not maxing out your borrowing capacity is if you know you want to do future things like this isn't the only property you're going to buy yeah. you only spend let's say half of it you know you're going to have more capacity down the road for the next thing so i don't think the attitude of like got to max it out is max, like max, max, max. yeah if you know that this is like part of a bigger picture it's like you think about it differently so yeah. this property uh was we purchased it for six hundred and twenty thousand plus uh costs was the price of this property here and that's australian dollars for anyone that is uh, potentially listening from elsewhere but of course for australian business owners here okay so what so that it was so it was six hundred and twenty, and what deposit did you put on? Yeah, so this is where this story gets a bit interesting. Is um, we Stop didn't it. necessarily realize that in certain lenders, um, which I won't name the lender just because I don't want to defamate anyone at this point, um, but definitely one of the big four banks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't like triplexes. So they looked at this property and they're like, oh, look, you want to uh, borrow um, this amount of money, um, which I think, uh, let's say we wanted to borrow 620 grand. They're like, it's too risky. You've got three tenants. Like I would have thought personally that if you had more income streams, it would be less risky. Yeah, one person could leave. You still got two incomes coming in whilst you're replacing the third, like as opposed to a house where if one person leaves, it's empty. So turns out opposite is true in this case. So when we went, to go to the bank, they said, look, you can buy this, but instead of a 20% deposit, you've got to leave a 30% because we need to um, protect our risk. Now, uh, and the scale of this, like if you're, uh, let's say 620, like it was on a 20% deposit, it's 120 grand. On a 30% deposit, now all of a sudden we've got to come up with $186,000 for the deposit. So um, I, I will mention this at this point because I feel it's really important. This is one of the reasons that I feel uh, business owners have a unique advantage and why the type of thing I've done here would work best for a business owner is because it was I was in a situation because I have a good business that I was able to come up with that money. Yep. If you were someone in a PAYG, and uh, again, not I'm not saying it's worse, it's just different. You have to play the game differently. Um, to come up with that amount of money would have been very difficult if you're on a fixed income and couldn't quickly come up with it. You would potentially have to borrow it off family and friends or something to do it. Correct. 
Yeah, where in this case, I knew, I looked at it, um, we purchased the property, I knew I had some time till settlement, uh, settlement, sorry, um, and I knew we had good reserves and things going on, so we were able to kind of do that deal in a unique way. It was not ideal at all, because we weren't expecting that. I didn't expect that to happen at all. I, again, would have perceived it was less risky, but in the eyes of the bank, this was the finance we had to take to be able to purchase it, because there was not other finance options for us at this point. So, if you couldn't come up with a 30%, would that have just, like, could, were you able to get out of the contract? Like, were contracts signed already? Uh, was Were they offering, like, maybe, like, a lender's mortgage insurance, which is, hey, if, if your deposit is less than, typically, it's 20% on a property, the banks will charge you an amount for insurance that they will put on your, your debt. Do they offer you any other option, or was this a do not pass go, do not collect $200, you must put 30% deposit down or otherwise you're forfeiting this house or well actually if you're on contract you might actually have been forced through it unless it was subject to finance it was subject to finance first okay. so when in the sale of a property we did have a subject to finance and pest and building and all that which I think is a great thing to have right you don't want to buy a house and then find out it's got termites or find out you can't get the lending and then go well, what do I do now um, we elected we probably I was probably uneducated on LMI at this point I didn't truly understand it and I was uh, the banks will love to sell you stuff. Like that's what they're in the business of. Like let's get real is they want to sell you products and services. That's what they do. That's where they make money. Yeah. So when we looked at that scenario there and looked at it, we just elected to come up with the 30%. But I dare say there were probably options for insurance, but it would have increased the costs of purchase dramatically. Probably um, like LMI when you're already on a risky product in their eyes, they're going to put a premium on it as well. Definitely. Yeah. So I looked at that and said, well, we're just going to ride this and eventually at another point we'll potentially refinance it. Or the other side of it is, is if you leave a bigger deposit on a property, like, and this is the positive, it just makes the cash flow more positive. It's so much better. <laughs> yeah, there's like less debt on the property, right? Because you own more of it because you've left a bigger pro- uh, deposit. So it's like, well, you get more cash flow out of it anyway. So I was like, let's just do that. It's a win-win. So you've got, so it's a $620,000 property. Uh, that I'm going to use a term called, uh, LVR, which is loan to value ratio, is so you've got 30% deposit, which is what you have put in, and the loan's going to be the 70%, which is 620 minus 186. So, what are the costs outside of the $186,000 deposit did you have to sort of front up to purchase this property, just so everybody is aware of it? Yeah, people often miscalculate this one. So, I've done it on the calculator and double checked it. But the big one for um, Australians is stamp duty. Yep. So when you are doing your maths here, like stamp duty was twenty six thousand dollars four hundred and two. So twenty six thousand four hundred and two. Um, that's not a small amount of money to have to come up with. That is just a f- donation of the government. Um, the government isn't involved in this uh, or getting anything for that. It's just the tax. So um, you uh, have to come up with that as well. Now I realise some banks will actually let you put that in the loan and uh, and all the rest of it as well. There are options with that with LMI and all the rest of it. But in our case, this is cash we had to come up with again. So if you start doing this maths right now, you've got 186 and I've already had to come up with another $26,000. Like I needed $200,000 of uh, capital just so far. 212 already. And then on top of that, You've got, you've still got your conveyancer, your building and pest, and we'll talk about like Goose and Gabby in a second as well. So, like, what was your conveyancing legals and like, did you get building and pest inspections done, etc.? Just like these other, and was there any other fees as well, sort of stacked on top? Yeah. So, um, conveyancer and pest and building all in come out at about five grand. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just going to group them as well. There was some miscellaneous things like we had to get potentially a trade to like look at a roof or plumber to look at a roof and check it out. Like there's a, a whole bunch of things that go into that process. And so maybe we do a deep dive of what goes into due diligence on something like this at a point as well. Um, we also had to get someone to inspect the property, um, which was done through our buyer's agent, uh, Dashdrot in this case. So there was their fees involved, which uh, that was $12,000 uh, at this point as well. So at that at this time, the purchase cost that you had for this property was two, and I've been, I've got my calculator out and doing it right now. Fantastic was was two hundred twenty nine thousand, which includes conveyances, building a pest, uh, the deposit, uh, the dash dot fees, which is the buyer's agent, uh, the deposit, etc. Um, and what was the settlement? Was that like a thirty days, sixty days, ninety days? Just so I'm aware of, like what were you what you were able to do to get that. 
$230,000 essentially together for the day of settlement, which is when you take the keys. Yeah, so we had a 45-day settlement. Um, roughly. Uh, Don't quote me on the exact, sometimes they move around, but that was the terms of it from there. There's a whole bunch of running around in the background to like do the finance due diligence, the pest and building, everything like that in this time. And again, just to fill people in, you do the pest and building like after you do the contracts. So like you would sign things, you put in your terms of like subject to finance, potentially subject to pest and building. You might have other terms you need, or you might need a longer settlement or whatever it is, but the contract basically sets the terms of the sale and everything that goes into it. I will also mention there was probably about another five grand of like miscellaneous things to do in this time as well, like paints, door handles, fixing a door, I think we had to do, but there was like some property maintenance that I I just allow five to 10 grand on every property I do that there's going to be things to fix up. Same. I reckon most of the properties I've had has had a hole in a door. <laughs> Something, something's always wrong with the door. And so I don't know what people that, do to doors, right? I don't like, understand. I'm, I'm not replacing doors at my house this often. Like what? Do, anyway, <laughs> and they're they're always in like obscure locations on the door as well. Like it's not like it's not like someone's head's gone through. It's like weird locations. Okay, so now what? Are, what the audience at home is always interested. They're like, ah, stop telling me we understand that you've spent like $229,000 to buy this property. So let's dive into what does it look like from a cash flow perspective. Now we're going to lead with the good news first, which is like let's talk about income, like what does it bring you in and if if you know what it originally brought you in and what it brings you in now from a rent perspective across all those three tenants, great. If you don't just what does it bring you through now and we'll start talking about expenses. Like what does this thing cost you to run every single month? Yeah, so um I I do you want to do, actually? I'll go there, but I just want to make sure we come back and talk about the time aspect of this one as well at some point. Got it. Yep. Yeah, so we'll cover that uh, momentary uh, after this, but we'll go to this now. So what's what's the rent? What do we get on the rent to this today? So this property rents uh, all three combined, so all three tenancies for nine hundred and ten dollars a week today. Now the rent has gone up thirty dollars a week, so ten dollars in each uh, unit, if we're going to call it a residence, uh, in that time as well. So if it's nine ten, it was probably eight eighty to begin with, and then that it's moved to there. So, uh, and I've got this written down. I'm going to look over at this sheet. If you were to work out the yield on that, which is something that people are always interested in, is that today on the purchase price, that's a 7.63% yield that it gets that's from the gr- property. It's a great yield. Uh, fantastic, I would say. I'm, I'm quite happy with it. Definitely. And so, that, I'm just doing some quick maths on that times 52 divided. So, that's $3,945 a month that that's bringing in because I the reason I r- relate that back to a month is because of the expenses. I'm going to try and see if we can't round them out to monthly as well. So, so I can do some quick maths on where we get to for uh, from there. Now, do you want me to do a run through? I'll just run yeah, it through yeah, right so now. I've got this all in a sheet and I know on a future episode, we're going to talk about like tracking this stuff and uh, we're going to make some sick templates and things for people. So uh, $3,943 is the actual grant, but we'll call it $3,940. Um, so let's go through this uh, in the way we've got it set up today. Yes, so, please. Uh, we have refinanced the property since and we've restructured things differently. I will mention here, I've spoken about the initial stuff. We were able to refinance this property at 80%. So get a 20% deposit and get some of our cash back at a future point. Awesome. But for now, I'm going to run through of like what it actually is today. So rent, 3940 The interest we pay on our loans every month is $1,222. So that's just what we pay in the interest. The interest rate is about, uh, I think it's, and I'll give you that as well because I think it's important to share it, is uh, 2.99. So it's 2.99% we'll call it three. Our council rates and water rates on this property are $455 a month. So that's like, uh, again, the ten, uh, we don't pay the water bill, but we pay the water rate that comes with council. it. And then yep. the council rates are on us as well to pay. The tenant doesn't pay that. Insurance is $168 a month, which we've just taken the annual and divided it by 12. Our maintenance, which this is just a buffer we put in, we allow for these door replacements for whatever reason, is $208 a month we allow in our maintenance. Um, And then we've also got an estate management fee. So we have someone managing this property. We're not managing it ourselves. Like there's a real estate agent local to the area who goes in and inspects it every so often, looks after the tenants, makes sure the property's running well, lets us know if it need anything. And of course, we want to support that as well, which is $306. 
So that yeah. that would sit about a seven point five percent on your rent. Yeah, I think eight percent is about the standard these days. So um, that would be correct on that one. I think we I- actually have multiple with this agent, so that they're uh, quite happy to do good rate. Perfect. And do you, do you put like a buffer in at all before I start asking you a little bit more about the loan that you've got in the, the refinance? Yeah, so I put in a $42 buffer. I don't know why we do it that specifically. I think I set it uh, at about five grand a year. And if you divide that, that's the amount. So I just yep. allow that. So if a hot water service breaks down or we need to replace something, we've put that in. But on a monthly basis, just to go through that, and you can see I've allowed some buffers in this for maintenance and just odds and ends, is that we have the costs at $2,401 a month. So there's almost $4,000 of income. Yep. So 3940 and then the costs to run this is $2,401 per month. So that's gross, um, all gross to this point. And so what's that net profit, just so everyone at home is can do the calculations for themselves? Yeah, so net profit on this one per month is uh, $1,542 a month positive cash flow. Perfect. Isn't it fascinating? And was that positive from day one? Like obviously, we're talking about current figures, which is, to your point, two years on. Was that positive the whole time or did you have it negative at any point in time? I know that your goal was good cash flow when you first looked at it. Just want to make sure. Yeah, see, this is an interesting one. So, I'm going to say no. I'll explain why. Okay, just work with me on this. Um, when we purchased this property, we had some one-off expenses, like the maintenance, like the uh what else would it be like any of the other fees and costs associated with running the property fix up things they're deductions in the first year yep so when you look at this uh, we bought this properly i want to say it was in the first half of a financial year so there was only so many months in that year and we had these big deductions so in the first financial year end of financial year of running this property it actually ran at a loss with the fixes and everything else because we're only accumulating uh like 1500 dollars a month right it's not a yep. huge amount of cash flow to cover these things but in the second year, it's all good. Like that is something where I'm, I'm talking financial years, of course, here. Yep. But when I look at that, it's like, okay, some of the initial costs we spent to get into the property become deductions, which is great. There's also things like depreciation and uh, insurance costs and loan costs that are deductions. When we got this into the second financial year, though, we didn't have those costs again. They're all taken care of. So that's more of like once you're through the uh, getting it set up phase – this is the like reaping the reward. And I must admit this, this has been one of these investments where it was like a bit of work at the start. So time at the start of this, and I know this is a future question because well, we do good prep on this podcast, but I'll mention it now. Um, time was a lot up front. So we had to, you know, do the pest and building, do the insurance quotes, do the fix up of these things. And then once settled and tenants were in, it's been like low key, man. Like we just set and forget type stuff, which has been really great. And I think that that's a really important point to make when when people are doing their budgets and they're looking for a cash flow positive property, which is what we we primarily focus on, especially as business owners, because I, I just don't want to be worrying about putting money into a property or if a hot water system breaks, which I've had that break, it's $2,500 it was for me. And plus to remove the other thing, it was probably more about $3,000. I just don't want to go looking and go, oh, where am I going to get that from? Right? I want it sitting in the property. And so making sure that people at home are aware that usually the first six months to 12 months, you will have these things, right? Like your first six to 12 months might not be cash flow positive. It might not be negative, but just factor that in that sort of some of these real benefits to your point, Charlie, is into sort of year two, if you will, and beyond, especially based on financial years. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about perfect buffers <laughs> when I'm saying this. Like imagine you're fin- you buy it at the start of the financial year, end of the financial year, et cetera. Like, that's just, really just important to consider. How's this any different than staff, right? You hire someone, they're crappy at what they do, you train them, they get good, and then after a duration of time of running uh, more expenses into that staff, getting them a computer, whatever it is, as they grow in skill and develop, that's when they become more profitable or more set yep. and forget because they've got skills and can be more autonomous or take on new things. Now, before I jump onto the time question, there is one little point I'm going to ask uh, if you're okay to share it. The loan. So, you mentioned, and I'm going to merge both concepts together. So, you mentioned that it was running you $1,222 a month. Um, was that, is that principal and interest? Was it 
interest only uh, at the start? Is it now principal interest? Well, have you changed it? Uh, and then whilst you're answering that, dive a little bit deeper into that refinance that you shared because I assume over two years, especially with Australia's property price and how it's gone crazy, um, you've had an increase at some point as well. So uh, very long question, but take us through that journey just so I don't keep interrupting. Would you believe this property is actually being refinanced twice now? <laughs> in, um, in two years. Two years, I know, right? Uh, thank you to my broker who helps me a lot. <laughs> Cheers, Aaron. I do love um, that. So let's just, um, I think this is such an important question because this where this was a huge gap for me. In business, I didn't understand lending because I didn't have this type of lending. I'm not buying buildings and selling buildings all the time in what I do online. Uh, we have different things we deal with. Where here, this was a bit of a black hole for me. So what occurred is that I was limited with financial products to buy the product, to secure it at purchase. So I had to take the loan I could get. Yep. Now, it was not an ideal loan. But the great thing about uh, finance is you can refinance. It's actually really uncommon for an investor to get one type of finance for a property and that's it. That's very, very uncommon. So in normal circumstances, I'm led to believe to now only through hanging out more investors is most people are refinancing. uh, Let's say every few years they're refinancing something or every five we'll say. It's common to do that because better products come out, your position changes, you're going to want to do things with your finance because the finance component is huge. So initially, 30% deposit, principal and interest loan. Uh, they didn't like interest only for this as well, just as an FYI. I was going to say, like, I don't think so. Uh, they, they, I, again, it's, fu- it's funny in hindsight, but I was like, they pretty much saying they don't want to lend for this property. That's what they're doing. They're putting up the barriers because they didn't want on their books or they're going to take a premium. Um, or de-risk it. So uh, after about, I'm going to say, six months, the property had, uh, we'd had it a while, we were settled, we had all our tenancy and everything was running smooth. We actually refinanced that with a different lender because they were much happier with that type of loan. So we moved from one to another and just another big four bank. That big four bank, we did a uh, 20% deposit and an 80% loan and we just put it on uh, principal and interest again. So we had it on a P&I loan, that's called. Now, in doing that, we got $60,000 cash back because we went back to the 20% deposit and I actually used that $60,000 to buy another property down the road, which I'm sure will dissect that investment at some point. But that's why I moved it back to 80% is that it was just, I was holding so much of my capital in this property. And I was like, well, why? We don't need to do that. It's cash flow positive. We can utilize our capital better. In recent times, though, what I've actually done is change the loan again. So we had to refinance the loan to make it interest only. Um, and there's a reason for this, which I'll get into. Actually, we'll just go there now. Like, we'll why just go. not? Do it. Um, so we went interest only. So just to break that one down. So rather than uh, playing principal to the bank every month, I've put it on interest only for the next five years. And I'll describe why. Number one is when you have a loan on interest only, that principal payment now just you get to keep in your bank account. Um, so I want that cash available to me so that I get to decide how it's used. If I want to pay the principal off, I still can, but I would just prefer to have the control of it um, so that I have options. So if I do want to use it on business this month, I can. Um, but then the other side of things, if any maintenance and repairs were to come up, I've now got a lot more cash flow disposable to me to deal with that ongoingly, um, which I think is a really, really handy way to think it. It's less risky if you have more cash flow available to you to handle situations. So that is my view. There's also something in Australia uh, called offset accounts where you can actually have an account tied to this loan and if you have money sitting in that account, the bank only calculates the interest based on the net result of those two accounts. And we'll probably talk about them later, but they're such a powerful tool because if you, in this example, if you had a loan for, we'll just use a rounding example, if you have a loan for $500,000 but you've got $100,000 in the offset account, well, they're only going to charge you interest on $400,000. So there's just so many advantages to having more flexibility with your finances like that. And also understanding that as well, which is where I know through my investment journey, these were the conversations that I've researched, but also Aaron's given me some deep insights into of just going, huh, right. So if I, to your point, if I just held on to, and didn't like if I just had interest only, held on to the principal in my hand, <laughs> put it into the offset account and just left it there, right? So I'm not paying the interest on the, the loan because it's obviously offset to your calculation of the $100,000 in cash sitting there. I only get interest on $400,000. Um, 
I'm like, and then if I did want to pay it down, okay, I just pick it up and just move it into, into the loan account. Like, well, who doesn't explain these things? Like, and I was like, it's just so logical as opposed to, is it because I'm just that bad at budgeting that the bank just has to say, I'm going to take the principal from you? <laughs> like, yes. In exactly. summary, yes. And, I, and so, like, when someone explained that, which was Aaron, I'm just like, huh. It's like the most obvious thing of just going, yeah, okay, I, I, I completely get you. And so, you've ref- when you did the first refinance, uh, it sounds like it was the same amount. So, Correct. it was a 620. Okay. So, it, the property might have gone up. Uh, just for everyone listening, one of the things that I mistakenly did in a property was I had a, f- a fixed interest. Because on your second refinance, did you take any money out? Because in one of my properties, I got a fixed interest only loan, which means that I cannot refinance without paying some fees to get out, et cetera, for I think it's about two or three years. Do do you know what's so funny? Um, I think the marketing of fixed rates is done so well because everyone's like, oh, you're just locking in your rate. No, no, you're locking in your loan. If you need to refinance or change anything, yes, they've locked in the rate, but there's also immense fees. Like I've heard of people having to pay like 30 grand to uh, refinance a property because they broke the contract on their fixed rate. It's like, yeah. oh, that you're can like, hurt. You're like, oh, no. And so the second refinance, did you refinance? So you moved to interest only. Uh, did you pull any money out or you just kept the same amount? No, I just kept the same amount. And the reason is, is I'm quite happy with the cash flow position of this property. Um, I could have absolutely taken more equity out and bought more properties, but one of the effects of that is if you increase the loan on a property, you decrease the cash flow. So if you're uh, thinking about the bigger goals, which I continually think about is like this property is serving a really good purpose. I don't want to mess with that and increase my risk by massively increasing the loan and decreasing it. Even though I could buy more properties with it, it's counterproductive to what I'm actually trying to achieve. So I prefer to think of it this way. And maybe I'll use some uh, leverage from it down the road, but I'm, I'm not in a position where I need to do that. So I'm not going to increase my risk. Yeah, and I think uh, everyone's going to also be aware of um, like capping out like borrowing. Like you only have, so based on the income that you get from your business, right, or your partner as well, um, there is only so much that you can borrow. And so the more that you refinance, the more that you sort of pull out, you keep pushing up against that total amount that you can borrow as well. So the other side that I know, Charlie, you and I speak about a lot is, well, okay, is that going to be the right use of that debt? Is that going to help me move the needle in the direction that I want to move it in, in order for me to achieve my wealth goals? And so there's there's a whole heap of considerations when it comes to that. And I know that we're going to do another episode on sort of how you can push and pull these levers, uh, but it's just all these considerations that we need to understand. And well, just put in one more there before we go there. We'll go a few more into this. You can always refinance later. I can do that at a future point if I need to or want to use that. It's just for where I'm at right now, I'm fine with that. The uh, things are going well, but I know you've got deeper questions on like what's it valued at today and everything like that. So I'll go. Still one. You still, you can just continue. I, I will finish this rant. <laughs> yeah, you just continue. Okay, so that's uh, wh- how we've done it. So be refinanced twice. We're now on an interest-only loan just to have more cash flow coming into our pocket. Um, we also had a valuation done. So something I'll highlight here is that if you are into property and doing property investments is you're probably going to want to get a valuation done at least once a year. I like to do it twice just because I want to know what the banks are valuing my properties at because it can help me decide what my next moves are. So I've had this valuation done in the last month and the property uh, today, ready for the drum roll. I'm just holding it off because I know people really want to hear this. And catch us on the next episode when Charlie does (laughs) No, let's just go there. Um, So the value of the property today is 880,000. Increase of 260,000. So we purchased it for 620. You then have to factor in your stamp duty and costs and all the rest of it. Um, and then today's value is at 880. And that's a bank valuation. That's where the bank has come out to the property, done an inspection, or they've used a valuation company. There are people, there are businesses that do that, and they've assessed that. Um, and this is what I think is really interesting about the bank valuation. When they do a bank valuation, they're like, what could I sell this for today? Yep. So it's always a little bit under because, you know, people in the market might be paying, be willing to pay a little bit more where the bank's just assessing this from a risk point of view. So could get more on the open market, but I'm happy to be conservative and take that valuation. But let's be real, a $260,000 uplift in, let's say, two years, I'm good with that. 
I'm really good with that. 130 a year. Now, do you mentally do you consider that as income, or do you just see that as my personal wealth is increasing? Yeah, so I track those separately. I think there's I track um, personally. I've got like um, asset net worth or just net worth. So it's like if I sold everything today, got rid of the debt, and I stacked all the cash together, how much would be there? And then I track cash flow as its own thing. So I kind of think about it like it's a balance sheet and a P&L statement or a cash flow uh, report. And, and I, I, think I view it that way. And we are going to do an episode where we deep dive into uh, doing that for wealth uh, because it is so important because I've spoken to people before where it's like, whoa, made some money. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but no, like it didn't – it's there but it didn't come into your bank account. Like it's not liquid, right? <laughs> Well, the other like, side of this is tax, right? Yeah. So, if you sell it, you've got to pay tax on that capital gain. Or if you don't sell it, like that's sitting there right now. So, I, I'm very uh, – when people do these calculations, I think they lie to themselves a little bit. Like I'm fully aware that 260 grand of gain is not all mine. Like There's Correct. tax to be paid on that. Exactly. So, two years in, what do you – you sell it now, keep it 260, pay tax on it and – Go and have a great trip to the Bahamas. Like, what's what's the future plans? What is what is the strategy for this one? Yeah. So again, this is why we talk so much about um, not having things that will, you have to keep feeding, putting cash into. So in this case here, the point I really want to make is like this property pays me fifteen hundred dollars a month to hold it. Like, that's gross profit. I won't, you know, taxable incomes and whatnot. I don't have to rush to sell this. If this was a huge renovation product, uh, so let's say I did a massive renovation, this property's negative gear and it's costing me $1,500 a month to hold it, I probably would be in a rush to sell it or move it on because this is now a liability. But when something like this has happened where it's putting money in my pocket every month and there's some good growth, like I'm happy to wait. I'm happy to have this thing be a long hold in my portfolio. And that's the intention of this one. Like, This isn't something I'm going to be flipping or selling anytime soon. Like I, I actually hope that this will just be one that's in perpetuity that's just we hold for a very, very long time. It, it's an interesting one because I think, yeah, I know you and I talk about this quite a lot around, well, what's the long-term strategy of property? And just it always seems as though just buying and just holding it's like the, the greatest strategy ever is that you acquire it for the long term, especially with property prices, as most people would have heard the saying of like, yeah, property continues to increase, safest houses, et cetera. But there's- I'm going to push back on that. I'm going to say that it's just a, it's a strategy and a tool in a tool belt. It's one that we've both utilized well and is great for our circumstances. But I've met some developers, I've met other people and it's like that recipe is right for them. So it's different. Now, I'm much biased as you as I'm like, why would I do anything else if I can do this? I think this is awesome. Like I'm fantastically uh, in this type of thing. But I just want to preface it because I think that like, there are times when development can be awesome. There are huge gains you can have with that if you know what you're doing or other things as well. And it definitely comes back to the concept of asset blocks because you and I have talked about that different points in your investment journey of when would you sell down to pay off debt? When would you move to your point developments, uh, land banking, et cetera? Like when do you utilize different types of assets at the different stage of your journey uh, depending on yeah what you're trying to achieve at the end of the day? So you're completely correct. So I'm going to keep asking you these questions just to see if you're sure. starting to sell down, some down. So we've walked through... A couple of the challenges. I'm going to deep dive on any others that you haven't sort of touched on in a second. But before we get to the things and the problems you hit, like the issues, risks. Risks are the things that you didn't know or that you weren't facing at the time, but you knew that you potentially could have hit. Right. So this question is going to be split into two parts. First one is what risks were you aware of when you were going down this property journey? And then what risks? were you not aware of that you now are aware of when you get into different property investments, et cetera, whether that's regional base, the asset type, et cetera. So two, two questions. And then after that, I'm going to get into the issues that you actually ran into that we haven't covered already. Yeah. So this is a really uh, unique question. Like the obvious one is that we didn't expect the lending. We did not expect the lending challenges. That was the biggest challenge of this whole one was getting the finance all done and dusted. Uh, the other risks that we just ran could run in general is like you could buy a dud. Like what if the pest in building guy is having a rough time in his life and actually it's got termites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What if the market goes down? Like if you timeline this out, two years, years ago wasn't exactly the uh, most, uh, how can I put it, opulent time in Australia. It's not our strongest. Australia wasn't looking going, oh my gosh, the economy is going to go great. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of fear in this market. And I think that's why we were able to secure this deal in the way we did is because there was a little bit of fear around what's happening in the world. And I won't go into that topic, but just to set reference points. So like there were risks everywhere. Um but I elected that I'm, and this is a personal view of mine, is that number one is like, how do you, how do you mitigate all these risks to this point? Is number one insurance. Like you're not going to not have insurances uh, around these things to protect yourself. Number two is cash solves a lot of problems. Yep. So we were very fortunate that we did have cash because we did need that. Um, you've seen numerously that I thought we were going to have to spend about 120 grand to get into this property, maybe 150 with all the other costs. It ended up being like near 220 so if you're not in a position where you have buffers like that around or available to you, then you really have to consider if you want to approach doing these types of things, maybe Definitely. different types of property investing or other investing are appropriate to you. Um, next one that comes into it is like vacancy risk. So like what if you, know, you buy the house and you find out that all the tenants are like they're running a meth lab? You don't know, like I hope not, um, but you do your best on the due diligence there, but um, all the tenants were fine, by the way, and fantastic. <laughs> um, but the point I make there is like there's tenant risk and if tenants re- leave. So again, cash really solves that one because if you can hold the property vacant for a few weeks or months, then that is a, is a really easy one to go with. And then the last one I'll make here is community. So I had people in my corner like Aaron, um, Goose and Gabby, and then also my accountant helping me walk through how we do these things. So I had people in my corner who had crossed this path and were able to kind of give me insights and mitigate some of these things as well. And I think I think that is the key, is understanding. And the, the more assets that I purchase, the bigger my list gets of things just to look out for, just go, okay, these things can definitely happen. But also not just going, oh, there's too many risks, I'm not going to take an action. And you said it's perfectly, it's like, having the mitigation to the risk just because the risks there doesn't mean you shouldn't do it it just goes okay cool there could be a lending risk that's why i've got aaron aaron what happens if these situations pop up it's like yeah i've seen these before this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do great thank you all right anthony accountant what happens in this event this event or hey now i need to try and increase my borrowing because i'm trying to achieve this what can we do right so there's so many different ways to leverage the team around risk mitigation. See, I, and again, I'm going to give you one more around. There's a risk in doing nothing. That was yeah. more of what I was concerned about at this point. I'm like, okay, well, could, this could all go backwards. Like this could be the worst thing I ever do. I kind of like mentally prepared. I was like, okay, if you buy this and it doesn't go well and you have to fire sale it, what what do you think is going to happen? You might lose a hundred grand, let's yeah. say. Like, all right, cool. Even 200, let's go this up. I'm like, can you recover from that at this point in your life? I'm like, yes. Um, okay, other side of things, if you do nothing, you potentially haven't lost this 200 grand or 100 grand, but it's like, what happens then? And I'm like, I'm a bit more concerned about that at this point. I think that if there's a time to make mistakes, it's now. Like, this is going to be learning like business is learning. Just like in the early years of business, I did some dumb shit. <laughs> it's probably not going to be any different here and there are still many for more stories to come. I've just, you know, again, there's other things we've done. I'll mention in other dissection episodes, but- I look at it now and just go like people often are scared to take action, not realizing they should be more scared about not taking action. And I don't mean to say that in a way that would push people to like take unnecessary risk or go too far. But in my case, like I felt appropriate and I felt like with the risk mitigation measures I'd put in place, I I felt okay doing it. It is an interesting one where people never factor that in. They never factor in the inaction right the, the compounding effect of just not doing anything and I, a couple of questions just before we wrap up like so you've gone through this this was one of your earlier properties as, as you shared what did you do different after that one like did you say that's it i'm running away from triplexes that these things are way too complicated uh, did you never bank with that bank again um yeah it was there anything else that you're just like, no, that's it. My, the fundamental way about how I approach this is going to change or did it reinforce your previous beliefs of saying this is the right course, this is the way, as the Mandalorian will say, I'm just going to progress this way. 
the positive of I think this was still a great learning experience in many ways and the results of this property tell me it was worth it. So would I change doing it? No. I would absolutely do this one again. I think it's been a fantastic one in the portfolio so far. And I realise over the long term, time will tell, but I'm fairly confident based on how it's all going so far. Um, the other side of that, though, is what did occur out of this is it kind of slowed me down on getting into my next property. Yep. So I think I would have put more consideration into like, if we go knowing what I know now is like, was that the right type of asset for that time where we potentially could have moved quicker if we picked, you know, just standalone single family houses? And uh, I think you have to elaborate that at portions in your portfolio where it's like you can get stuck if things like this come up and you can't come up with more funding or capital or a property or a develop. Like I did a development which took like 12 months to do and you get stuck for a duration of time. So forward thinking to what comes next is probably the thing I didn't have the awareness to that I gained from doing this one. This is something where I'm like, I'm never just thinking about what's next. I'm thinking about what's after that now and any consequences that come from it. Yeah, such as the ability to refinance six months later or 12 months later where you say, great, it's going to be a short-term impact of that 10%, which is what you refer to, which is $60,000. But I know that I can get that back out because I've got someone like Aaron in my corner who's just going to be like, no worries at all. Short-term this, long-term, that's where we're going to go. And you go, easy. Okay, that's an easy decision. Absolutely. And so looking through this to sort of summarize... So we we talk about like wealth concepts and we've done an episode on that previously, which anyone who's playing at home can actually go and get access to that episode. It was episode four where we talked, uh, sorry, episode four was wealth goals. Episode five was where we talked about core wealth concepts. So I'm just going to walk through a couple. So it aligns to your wealth goal, 100%. Uh, it aligns to inflation because you've got the positive of the inflation where you have debt over a period of time decreases in value as absolutely yeah cost. using debt in this one hugely because of you know even at 70 percent, like that's still a massive amount of dollars to deflate away yes and you've also got the cash flow coming in every single month which is new money coming in which is not being impacted by the while well, the inflation of the rent is increasing as well so you're getting both. i love this analogy it's a self-sourcing pudding all right that's what that's what it is <laughs> love cake rather uh you've you've leveraged so you've used debt in your advantage. Here you had obviously a 30% deposit with a 70% loan. Uh, obviously, ideally at 2080, which is where you got to 20% deposit, 80% loan. So you've definitely used leverage to make sure that you're getting the returns today and not trying to save that $620,000 in cash and then trying to purchase it as well. Uh, you've leveraged time. Like you've had this for two years. And beyond like your future strategy was i'm just going to hold this for the moment and it might get a point where i might sell it or sell another property and pay it off or whatever it is but you've got that time that is on your side um you've definitely utilized tax you've talked about how the initial five thousand dollars that you spent to do the improvements the doors and all those kind of things uh well you're able to expense that under the property with the cash flow that was coming through uh, but you've also utilized your business from a tax perspective right so you've use your income to prove to the banks that yes i am solid and i can borrow notwithstanding that they don't like triplexes but that's fine to say yep i need i can borrow up to a million dollars uh you've leveraged team you shared you, you used goose and gabby from dashdot you've used uh, aaron from dnf or diagnostics and financials and you've used anthony from trover trover tax uh and then you've also had risk mitigation noting that like most things in life there was a an issue that popped up that you weren't aware of or a risk that happened that you go, oh, I didn't expect this to happen. But the business has been a vessel that has helped you mitigate that risk as well. And the team around you has supported you in saying like, this is what we can do. It's just going to be a bit of a short-term pain for a long-term gain. Uh, from my standings, it, it looks like it ticks most, if not actually not even most, it ticks all of the wealth concepts. Is there... Is there anything you wanted to add to that or anything you think I might have missed on it? I just hope people can see how they've been laid together, like bringing all those concepts and goals and things together to achieve. Uh, in this case, for me, this might not be a successful investment for you. It might be too small or too big or you need something different. But in my case, this ticked my goals and ticked the boxes with all these concepts to get progress towards what I'm working towards. And different properties and different dissections will be different. I just want to put on the end of this as well, by no means is this financial advice, by no means uh, Grant and I qualified in any way to uh, 
pick properties or suggest things. I just wanted to share it so people know what is possible so they can seek professionals and start this education journey themselves. Yeah, and, and it's a really good point that you mentioned as well because the, the whole point is for everyone who's listening to the, this to be part of our network, to be part of our peer group, to understand like this, this is what we've been able to achieve. This is what you can achieve as well. And so I think in, in future episodes as we're dissecting our best investments, uh, we'll make sure that we've got some of the more affordable ones in there. We'll make sure that we've got some more of expensive ones. So anyone who's listening to this, no matter what stage or level you're at, you can go, oh, I relate to that. Oh, I understand that. Oh, I can aspire to get there as well. So if you have enjoyed this and you do have any questions that we haven't looked at, now we've tried to dive into absolutely everything here, look under every single rock. Uh, and you do want to ask us any questions or you did have any other insights that you want us to provide to you, head over to Facebook, join the Asset Blocks community. So just go into Facebook, search for Asset Blocks community uh, and join the conversation. Ask Charlie or myself any questions and we'll be more than happy to share either there or even do a podcast episode about it where we can dive deeper into it. And if you did enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or even share it to someone else that you say, hey, it is possible. Maybe we can get on to this, whether it's a partner or another friend, etc. because that's what we're about. We just want you to see and learn from what we've done and our stories that we're sharing. And thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to catching you in the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.